Well, I do want you guys to be praying for the church. Um, this could be the leanest season we've had in a long time. So please be praying about what God wants to do here. And um, we'll just be looking at Him and trusting what He has for us. Um, so everybody knows, I assume, what a Christian apologist is. Um, it's a person who makes a defense of the faith in the world, usually with logical, rational, philosophical arguments. I'll give you the definition. Someone who presents a systematic discourse uh, in defense of the divine origin authority of the Christian faith. So, an apologist speaks to skeptics. You know, you see them on YouTube a lot at university campuses talking to university students. Making a defense of the Christian worldview. Um, as C.S. Lewis said, well, uh, it's the only worldview that holds together, beginning to end. And if you think about things from beginning to end, uh, you realize that C.S. Lewis is right. It's the only worldview that holds together. Every other so-called worldview has huge holes in them. The, the longer I study the Bible, the tighter it gets, is what I'm, one thing I want to say to you. And if you're a student of the Word of God, you understand what I'm saying. The more I study it, the tighter it gets. And the more I fear my great and awesome God who loves me and has taught me to love Him. I mean, Christianity is the best deal <laughs> that's ever fallen on the ears of man. And we got, what, 30 people in here? This shows you how hard-hearted mankind is, right? How depraved we are, as the Bible tells us. The thing about Christian apologetics, I started there for a reason. By the way, sooner than last week, we're in Psalm 19. So please open your Bible or your electronic device to Psalm 19. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 19. So there's a reason I'm talking about apologetics. But what I have found out about apologetics, again, I've been doing this for about 35 years now, is that while interesting, they are not compelling. Nobody gets converted off of apologetics. They're interesting, they can be helpful, they can be a pathway to conversion, but it's been my experience, and maybe because I'm not so good at them, but I don't find apologetics compelling um, at the end of the day. Frequently, what you have is you have men arguing with men about what men have said and and. And the other opposing opinion is what men they quote has said. And it's kind of like it, it always seems to devolve. Well, I've got a guy that said this. And, uh, well, the other guy's got a guy that said that. And you know what's really powerful? Is when you say, God said this. My apologetic is God. Okay? I'm just telling you. I've abandoned a lot of apologetics. I had a long, extensive, long email correspondence with an atheist some years ago. <laughs> and I started out with apologetics, you know. And it's like, I just pretty soon just started slapping, slapping him upside the head, metaphorically, with the Word of God. There's just power in it. God said. 
It makes no difference whether the skeptic is willing to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It makes no difference. You know it's the Word of God, so tell them what God said. Just tell them what God has said. Apologetics are good, but they're very limited. The Christian worldview is not ultimately a philosophical argument. It's a proclamation of the Creator, Redeemer, God. We know the Creator. We were created by Him and for Him. What's His name? Jesus Christ. And our Redeemer. Creator, Redeemer. That's who we are trying to talk to the world about. Yeah, I know the world hates it when we talk like this. The world hates it when we say we have the truth exclusively. They hate that. They hate it when we say Jesus is the only way. They hate that. I know they hate it. They're always going to hate it. Right up until they don't. And when does that time come? When you share the Word of God with them. And they decide, yes, I will repent and believe. And then their lives change, right? They're always going to hate it right up until the time they don't. So what we do is we just keep sowing the good seed. That's what we do. We sow the good seed in love. We sow the good seed in love. And God does what God does. Only what the Holy Spirit can do. Take out the heart of stone and put in that heart of flesh. So I I guess my point is this. And you're going to see it in Psalm 19. (laughs) Okay? He starts talking about the Word of God. I just don't think we need to descend into the, the sinkhole of human reasoning. I'm not saying it's utterly useless. I'm saying it's not ultimately compelling. God's Word. Okay, how, how does faith come? We know. Someone tell me, how does faith come? By the Word of God. Okay? That's how faith comes. So when we love people, we don't quote endlessly human philosophers and theologians. We quote God. We quote God. So, you know it's true. Everybody has an opinion. I, I've, I, I think I've got Karen out of the habit of saying, I believe. Who cares what you believe? Who cares what you believe? Everybody believes something. And pretty much nobody cares what you believe. Maybe some people close to you do. But here's what we need to say, beloved. God says. God says. Who cares what you believe? The Buddhists believe something. The Muslim believes something. Tom Cruise believes something. He's got a word from a Thetan. Everybody believes something. So don't go out in the world and say, I believe this. Nobody cares. You go out in the world and say, God says. The Creator God says. So, shaman, monk, rabbi, imam, pope, patriarch, Protestant preacher, if it doesn't line up with this, it's all speculation, right? It's all speculation. Anything outside of this that doesn't line up with this, that does not agree with this, it's speculation. Complete, total, utter Speculation. Um, 
thousands of times. I didn't count them all. Thousands of times. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. Thousands of times. You would think that men would be paying millions of dollars to own a Bible and would be paying you know, as much as possible to get expert teachers to open it up for them, to open up the text for them, to help them understand what God is saying. Men don't care. Men don't care what God says. And you've heard me say this a lot, and it's something important that I want you to always remember, because I get the, all the, always get the questions, right? The questions. What about this? What about that? The Bible is not God's explanation, right? What is it? It's His revelation. God's not trying to answer all your petty little questions. God's answering the big one. What must I do to be saved? He answers a whole lot of other questions, but he, again, the Bible is not His attempt to explain everything to you. That's not His purpose. His purpose to say, is to say, I'm God. I'm here. Right? Isaiah 65. Here I am. Why then should you die? Ezekiel something. 30-something. So God proclaims His presence. You know, and people want to say, well, well, I don't understand your God. Well, ultimately, I don't understand everything about Him either. You know, go back to the Trinity. I don't understand the Trinity. He reveals it. He doesn't explain it. So I'm not going to bring Him down by trying to explain it. You know, a lot of apologetics brings God down. It brings God down to a human level. I think this is dangerous. I think it's almost always a mistake to try to bring God, try to fully explain God because you can't. And after a billion eternities, you still won't be able to. He'll still be, there'll still be an infinite amount that you don't fully understand and know about Him because He is that kind of being. Here's my apologetic, Isaiah 46, 9. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. That's my apologetic. That's my apologetic. Here's another one. Psalm 99, I love Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. This is my apologetic. Okay? <laughs> the atheist says, what? You know, me and the guy, and I'm like, bam! <laughs> you know, take that! He's your creator! Get up out of the minutiae, man! Stop asking me, you know, well, why this? How about God? How about God? Let God be your apologetic, beloved. Let God be your apologetic. I love what Piper says. American preacher. God is not mainly to be understood. Someone tell me. He's mainly to be worshipped. A comprehended God is no God. If you comprehend Him, He's not God. He's a pretender. If your little two and a half pounds of gray matter can comprehend God, you've got the wrong God. You've got a lowercase g God on your hands. And you know, much of the modern church is just trying to bring God down so they can understand Him and manage Him. And I bow up against that. I, I know I can't, for one thing. And I don't want to manage Him. And I don't want to fully understand Him. I know that that is a, the eternal adventure, coming to grasp and comprehend all that 
God is. That's just a fool's errand. I want to, I want to understand Jehovah. I want to manage Jehovah. So God is my apologetic when I'm called on to defend Christianity. <laughs> the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. How about that? Why don't you go home and tremble? And if you don't know how to tremble, you haven't met God yet. You don't know anything about the God of the Bible. If you don't know, as Kyle and I learned this week, that He is terrifyingly magnificent. We kind of knew that. But we, a theologian said it. and I love this. I'm enamored with it. You're going to hear it a lot. You'll get tired of it. He's terrifyingly magnificent. That's the Christian God. That is the Christian God. Some of you have come from uh, traditions that have dumbed God down. You know, he's just, he's just this little bitty, you know, He's a little bitty kind of kind of sort of God. He's like a big friend. <laughs> you know, beloved, don't do that. He's not your big friend. He's God. Of course, we know that Jesus used the, the word friend. But what I'm saying to you is to have a full-orbed view, biblical view of who God is. You guys know who Bertrand Russell is, right? You guys know? I'm going to get in the text in a minute. Um, Bertrand Russell. Famous atheist in the 20th century. And he was once asked, well, if you meet God after you die, what are you going to say to Him? And Bertrand, Bertrand, Bertrand Russell, and you know how atheists are, very arrogant. He says, well, of course, he'll never say this. When he sees God, he's on his face, you know. But he said, why didn't you give me enough? This is what I'd say. Why didn't you give me enough evidence to believe? <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about. In Psalm 19, God has given you all the evidence you need. As you hear me say often, there'll be no excuses on the last day. He has revealed Himself. Psalm 19 is going to tell us in the first few verses, through the created order, you know. Through the created order, you know. He's there. And through special revelation, specific revelation, supernatural revelation, you know His name, Jesus Christ. This is the special revelation right here. You know His name. He's made it known to you through the incarnate and written Word of God. That's verses 7-11 through 11 in Psalm 19. The uh, created order is verses 1-6. through 6. So nobody has an excuse on the last day. There's a third kind of revelation that God has given us, and we all know it. I talk about it a lot. You might be a liar, but you're not an atheist. Everybody knows that God is there. It's, it's Romans chapter 1. It's so fundamental that you understand that every human being, it's not that men don't know, it's that they do know and they hate God. It's just, it's just Romans chapter 1. You have to understand Romans chapter 1 or you don't understand who you are and who, who humanity is. Verse 19 of Romans 1, That which is known about God, oh, it's evident within them, for God, oh, made it evident to them. <laughs> Nobody has an excuse. It's right here. It's right here in your heart and your soul and your mind. You know He's there. 
you know. And if you don't build your life around him, then you lose. He doesn't lose. You lose. You lose, beloved, because he is God. You know what Romans 1.18 says? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They hold it down. They push it down. They shroud it. They hinder it. This is what men do with the truth of Christ. It's why they go to crummy churches who will never preach the Bible. They have nice little devotionals, right? And sermonettes. You know how I feel about sermonettes. What does a sermonette do? Creates a Christianette who are no good for anything. <laughs> right? They're no good for anything except taking up space in a pew. No good as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. So Bertrand Russell and all of his friends, this is not about not knowing. It. It's about knowing. It's Psalm 14.1, The fool has said in his heart there is no God and the fool will give an answer. Let's pick up here verses 1 through 4a. Verses 1 through 4a. The heavens are telling... <clears throat> verse, uh, pardon me, Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. Did you notice that the created order is telling, it is declaring, it is speaking, it is revealing, it is uttering. <laughs> and then men say, where's God? There's a God? It's utter stupidity. It's utter stupidity. David is not implying that God doesn't speak through other aspects of the created order. He's simply focusing on the heavenlies, right? This is the point. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher in London, 19th century. Listen to what he says. God's existence, power, wisdom, goodness, beauty, infinity, faithfulness, greatness, and majesty are all on display in the limitless expanse of the cosmos. The cosmos is a lesson in the attributes of God. It's what the cosmos is. It's what David is saying to us, right? The created order is not just there giving... The, it's there to shout at you. The created order is shouting the glory of God. That's what David is saying. If you don't see it, if you don't hear it, you're culpable. You're pushing it down. You're holding down the truth. what men do. I looked at Jeremiah 10. Look at this. Just listen to this. I, I love this verse. 11 and 12. Jeremiah 10, 11 and 12. The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish. What's he talking about? The pretenders, right? All the pretenders. They will perish. It is He who has made the earth by power who established the world by His wisdom and by His understanding. He has stretched out the heavens. We're supposed to read God off the creation. We're supposed to read God off the heavenlies. <laughs> Let me quote Spurgeon again. He says, He who looks into the heavens and declares himself an atheist brands himself at the same moment an idiot or a liar. Now, we all know this is true. Intuitively and viscerally, we know this is true. 
I'm trying to stay on my notes because I could really go off here. <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to rein myself in, which is a good thing. So true Christianity is never at odds with, with uh, true science, and true Christianity is only at odds with pseudoscience. One of my favorite PhDs said it this way, science done right points to God. This is always true. Why? Because truth points to truth. Truth always will point to truth. So there's only three ways, there's only three theories about the cosmos. What are they? Three theories about how it, why it's here. You know what they are, right? Pardon me? Big Bang. Big bang. It just happened, man. It was just, there was nothing and then there was everything. Of course, we have a huge logical, rational problem here, right? Nobody in their right mind, I've got a quote for you on the Big Bang. The materialistic Big Bang, right? <laughs> I like what Orwell says. We have now sunk to a new depth that which restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men. All right? There, there's no such thing as a causeless effect. It, this, is, this is myth. This is fairy tale. What's another? Uh, what's another? Um, there's one theory that was really prevalent for a long time about the about the universe, about the Earth. It's what they really believed up until Big Bang took took the, because Big they had to take Big Bang because it's in the data, right? They didn't want Big Bang because it implied a beginning, which implies something else. Somebody who could create a beginning. They hated the Big Bang at first, but they had to bow to it because it's there in the data. The, 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 the prevalent uh, proposition was what? That the universe was eternal. That it was just a steady state. It was eternal. They believed it. They wanted to continue to believe it. They believed it since Aristotle. But anyway, the other possibility is God is there and He's a genius physicist, right? <laughs> and He is there. I told you this book I wrote about on creation. It's like, it changed me. It just changed me, man. You, you get into the minutia of God's genius in the created order. You bow, you worship, you're in awe, right? <laughs> it's not that I doubted God was there. It's now that I can't doubt that God is there. I can never doubt that He's there. If you think through things, again, it's the worldview that holds together. So those are the possibilities. I wanted to share them with you. You guys know this. Um, obviously, the Christian worldview, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is where we land. I, I want to give you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of verses 1 and 2 here in Psalm 19. Listen to what he says. I've always loved this. God's glory is on tour in the skies. Godcraft on exhibit across the horizon. Madame Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures every evening. Of course He's there. Of course He's God and He's there. And I love here this pouring forth, right? Verse 2. Day to day pours forth speech. It's a gusher, man! You know, get outside the city. Look at, look at the stars. Look at the heavenlies. It's a gusher! God is saying, I am great. I am glorious. Here I am. Why then should you die? 
It's the star sermon. It's the sky sermon. It's what the Lord is saying to us. It's all those nonverbal sermons. Karen bought some raspberries a couple of weeks ago. Who, who among you likes raspberries? I love raspberries. But these things turn into theological events for me, right? A raspberry, if you, you look at it, it's beautiful. It's appealing on every level. It even smells good and it tastes crazy good. And it was just for me worship, right? So I eat a piece of fruit and it's worship. So it's, a, it's the raspberry sermon. It's the, the heavenly sermon. It's the DNA sermon, the Swiss Alps sermon. The watermelon sermon. I mean, the perfect watermelon? Come on. Right? Perfect bananas. Come on. It's ingenious, right? Just peel it down. It's like, it's like, wow. The consciousness sermon. The human vision sermon. The I can feel love, hope, and plan and sermon. All of these abilities and characteristics that God has given human beings. These are all, these are my apologetics. <laughs> Only an infinite mind can give these kinds of things. John Piper again. He says, the sky sermon, it's not given in words, it's in light, color, contrast, shape, proportion, design, motion, magnitude. Nature is the prep school of our affections, readying us to delight in God. This is, this is what creation is supposed to do. Draw you to the Creator. If you just walk through life and you take everything for granted, well, you're just like an unbeliever. This is what unbelievers do. Well... I'm supposed to have air to breathe, I guess. I guess the sun's supposed to come up. So I'll have, you know, some broccoli for dinner. I mean, it's just like, it's like they never stop and think they're living. Yes, it's a fallen world, but there's so many echoes of paradise here, right? There's so many echoes. So many echoes. You have to be willfully blind and deaf not to respond to them. Again, it's the Romans one thing. It's the pushing down thing. Let's get on with uh, the psalm here. I'm picking up here at 4b. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, verse 5, which is a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run His course. It's rising from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now you can see David, it's his morning devotional. It's like you, right? You have your morning devotional. The sun's coming up in the east, right? And he's on Mount Zion and he's looking across the Jordan and the sun's coming up and it's breathtaking. Yeah, it was an accident. It just happened. I mean, you know, it, it, came, out, it came from nowhere. No, he knows where it came from. It came from God. It's his morning devotion. He's watching the sun come up. And he is in awe. It's a beautiful scene of God's power and genius. And I want to say joy. So why do I mention joy? Because verse 5, the bridegroom is coming out of his chamber. It's an allusion to pure joy. This is the happiest day the groom's life. He's coming, he's coming out of the chamber. Man. And he's saying that the sun, basically in, in my understanding, 
The Son is a declaration of the joy and exuberance of God. And we saw it last week. Was it last week that I descended into the abyss of... What was the word you used? I forgot. It was a good word. A gimmicky. I was a little gimmicky. <laughs> but we saw it, you know. Our sun is like nothing compared to the largest stars in the known universe. 1,700 times. The largest star in the universe is 1,700 times larger than our sun. This is a small glimpse of the joy and exuberance and power of God. This is what we're, beloved, this is what we're supposed to be reading off the created order. He talks about the strong man running his course. <laughs> no one can stop him. He's invincible, right? Nobody stops the sun but God. <laughs> Made me think of Eric Little, right? I say this to you a lot, but I love it. He was an Olympic runner. Ask him about the running. What did he say? What did he say? When I run, I feel what? The pleasure of God. You know, he was skilled at running. And when he did what he was skilled to do, he felt the pleasure of God. David's feeling the pleasure of God. If your soul's awake, you're, you're experiencing the pleasure of God every day. The raspberry sermon knocks me over sometimes, right? And there's something wrong if you're not getting knocked over on a regular basis just walking through the created order. Listen, these are all props for you to worship God. And if you don't find yourself worshiping God by what you find out there, you're either ignorant of what the Bible says or you're simply not paying attention. Or here's the worst thing. You're so self-consumed and absorbed you never notice it. I'm so wrapped up in the one thing in my life that's not perfect. I can't worship God. The raspberry has no effect on me. I don't take time to notice the raspberry. Right? And worship the one, the only one, you know, as one theologian said, the whole world cannot make a fly. Now, I know we think we can do impressive things, but we're all cavemen with stone axes compared to what God can speak into existence. So the whole world can't, can't make a fly. We're so proud of our technology. Beloved, we're a joke compared to I am. We're a joke. A whole lot more room for humility than hubris. When I think about the cosmos, I just want to share this with you. Luke 12, 32. Remember what Jesus said? He says, your Father has chosen to give you everything. Right? He's going to give you the kingdom. It's all yours. All of it's yours. If you're in Christ, it's all yours. All the stuff that makes you worship in the world, it's for you. It's about, ye it's about God. I'm giving it to you. For your enjoyment. I tell you all this all the time, right? There are tens of thousands of subordinate pleasures in heaven. We don't need any of them. Jesus is enough. But there are tens of thousands of subordinate pleasures in heaven. All because God is a genius and benevolent and good. <laughs> yeah. It will be fun. 
I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, the known universe, 93 billion light years in diameter. Again, a small commentary on the exuberance and joy and happiness of God. So then David moves from the general and natural revelation of God in the created order. He moves to the uh, written and incarnate revelation, which is Jesus incarnate and the Bible in written form. We see six effects of God's Word upon the humble, contrite, and, and repentant heart. So I want to take a few minutes and unpack these verses. So let's go here, verse 7, and I'm going to pick some of the words apart here. Verse 7, Psalm 19, the, Lord, pardon me, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord is perfect. I looked up this Hebrew word translated perfect. It means whole, complete, full, and sound. God has left nothing unsaid that you need to know. Don't endlessly ask God tens of thousands of why questions that He's never going to answer. He doesn't answer why questions. Very often, you know, I've often said, and if you think about it, you'll agree with me, that I would rather have one revelation from God than 10,000 explanations. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I'd rather have one revelation than 10,000 explanations. So what good is an explanation once you get it? But a revelation, a revelation will change your heart, your soul, and your mind. So the psalmist says God restores the soul, meaning He recovers and returns the soul back to its original function and purpose, which is what? To know, love, and delight in God. This is why we're here. If you go through a whole week and you don't delight in God, something is amiss. Something is grossly amiss. Because that's why you're here. And if you call yourself a Christian, it's what we are here to do, beloved. The testimony, God's own self-disclosure of the Lord makes wise the simple, right? <laughs> yeah, he's just, it's a data dump, man. He's just, he's making us simpletons wise. God's Word is the antidote for naivete. God's Word helps us to stay off the broad way and onto the narrow way. God's Word is sure, meaning it is established, reliable, trustworthy, and faithful. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The yeah, I'll stop there. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, connoting that they are righteous, upright, and proper. They bring rejoicing to the heart, right? A happiness. A joyfulness. It's how, it's how uh, Paul and Silas sing in the prison, right? Because it, they're just looking at God. They're not looking at the fact, well, I just got beat and thrown into prison for no good reason. Oh, what do you want to do? Let's sing praises to God. Now, how many of you could ever envision doing it? I, I'll be honest with you. You know, I would have to work. I would have to say, Lord, help me be that man. Because I fear I wouldn't be that man, right? But we can be that man. You can be that man, that woman. You can worship God when it's hard. You can make much of Jesus in the, in the hard spot. 
Happy is the man who hears and observes the Word of God. Luke 11.28 Jesus called it, John 8.32, freedom. Right? I don't have to engage in vengeance and vindication. I don't have to carry around anger and malice. I'm free. You know, God has freed us from these things. I like how Paul talks about true conversion, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He compares the regeneration of the soul, that miracle that only God can do with, with God's creation of light in Genesis 1. Let there be light in the soul, right? <laughs> and with the light, He brings the happy joy that only He can bring. Verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. The fear of the Lord, you know what the Bible says, is what? Is what? The beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. It means you have none. I, I listened to a, uh, obviously, smart guy who went to Columbia in the States. And he finally realized that nobody on campus feared God. And he finally realized he was raised a Jew. He finally realized there was no wisdom there. He says, I'm paying all this money for these teachers, for these professors, who have no wisdom to teach me. He said, I learned more in the synagogue as a five-year-old. He's a comment, famous commentator in the States. I won't name him. If you want to know, I'll, I'll tell you who he is. Um, three times, at least three times in the Word of God, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of God is clean, right? It guides us morally and ethically. The Word of God endures forever. You guys know Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever, right? It's relevant every morning you roll out of bed. It's relevant. That God's Word is a rock that you can stand on. No matter what comes, you can stand on it. Uh, American preacher John MacArthur liked what he says. It's the manufacturer's manual instructing humanity how to live this life to the full and how to prepare for the life to come. So I won't beat this drum because you know it, but this is why we preach the Bible at ICM. We don't do sermonettes and we don't do interesting cultural commentary. We don't care about politics. I'm not saying these things aren't important and they don't have some place, but they have no place here. Because nobody else is going to talk to you about God the way a Bible-believing church will. Right? Nobody else will be honest with you like a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Every other place you encounter is going to take the edges off so it's nice and comfortable for you. Don't want to offend the consumer. Right? So we just do the Bible. Sometimes that's why we have five people. And about this time next month, we're going to have five people. Maybe you could find a friend of Rod Seal. Just drag anyone in. Um, yeah, just drag anybody in you can drag in. Okay? Shibami, you got anybody you can drag in? Okay. Drag them in, man. Drag them in. Anyway. You know, people say, well, Jim, <clears throat> you, know, you know these places that like to, uh, they, they talk about doing miracles and they have miracle services and stuff. And they say, you know, miracles are, yeah, that's good. But I, I, I don't know how to do miracles. But here's what I do know how to do. I know how to preach the Word of God. And you know what God does with His Word? He does the ultimate miracle. He saves people. He saves their souls. He takes that which is dead and He makes it alive. This is what God does. 
with his word. I would rather be that guy than the other guy. It'd be nice, I mean, I guess, you know, if I could heal something, it'd be... But what's more important than the soul? There is nothing more important than the soul. So I think that's uh, important. Verses 10 and 11. There are more desirable, they are, the word, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Okay, if I was handing out gold here, would we have 30 people? We would have to have crowd control. People with guns, you know, on top of the building, keeping all the people away. If I was handing out real gold, God says, I'm handing out that which is more valuable than real gold. And you got 30 people. Beloved, I see him as a testament to the fact that true Christianity is a remnant. It is a remnant. Much of what is called Christianity is apostate. Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, and even much of Protestantism. It's apostate. Nobody preaches the Word anymore. We just try to please the consumer. We just try to please the consumer. So he'll come back next week. Um, I wouldn't want to be any of those men standing in front of God on that day. So where did I stop? Much fine go. Sweeter than honey uh, of the drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So, great reward. So, God's Word is a great protector, for by it God's servant is warned. God's Word is a great provider, for in keeping it there is great reward. So I'll ask you, what does your general attitude toward God's Word during the week, your personal daily interaction with God's Word, your weekly habits in sitting under the preached Word of God, and how much time you spend in it, what does it say about how you value this great gift that God says is way better than gold? <laughs> That's a powerful, powerful thing to me to think about this. Yeah, if somebody's handing out real gold right here, you'd have to have, the military would have to be out there, right? But all we have is the Word of God. There's probably something better on TV, right? Well, sadly, that's where many people are. Let's finish up here. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be acquainted, acquitted pardon me, of great transgressions. Now this is the plea and prayer of a biblically literate person. He understands that his own heart is fallen before a holy God, right? And he knows that the, the sin he's aware of is the tip of the iceberg. Okay, I've been doing this for a while. The sin that you're, that you're dealing with right now is the tip of the iceberg of the sin that is in you. You're not even conscious of it. 
this, this really inbred thing about wanting to always love myself more than I love God and my neighbor, which is the definition, according to Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. You know? I'm wholly in love with myself, my comfort, my ease, my security more than I am with the glory of God and the work He's left me here to do, which is to make much of Jesus, to be His witness. Now, the biblically illiterate man thinks far too highly of himself, but a Christian knows there's no good thing in him apart from the work of God. David says, Wash me, Lord, of the known and unknown sin. I love it. The known and the unknown sin. Keep me back from conscious, deliberate, presumptuous sin. David's cry here is the cry of every true believing heart. Lord, keep sanctifying me. Keep sanctifying me. It's like uh, American preacher John MacArthur says, if you could lose your salvation, you would lose it by the end of the week. This is true. But because of the way God has designed it, we are born again. We are indwelt with the power of the Spirit. And He's at work in us, sanctifying us. We learned it in the Gospel of John. Don't misunderstand. You can't lose your salvation. If you're a Christian, you can't lose it. You can't lose it. It'll never happen. Jesus said it will not happen. Verse 14, let's finish. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, we're probably all pleasers. I mean, most people like to please. You're trying to please someone, right? It's either yourself or someone around you, or ultimately it's God. I, I pray that you your, your first and foremost desire is to please God. When you roll out of bed in the morning, I want to please God. That's my goal. That's who I am. That's how I prosecute life. And I love this. David is not merely seeking the approval of God. He's <laughs> and you study, if, you know, if you're biblical literate, you understand this. Yeah. Um, it's not just God's Acceptance, it's God's delight. David wants to live in such a way that God is delighted. And if you know your Bible, you realize that we can bring delight to God. So I'm going to finish with a story, a uh, short story. Um, as you guys know, I used to be in business. Back in the mid-80s, I was at work for a food processing company. We had a warehouse guy. His name was Bart. And I liked Bart. Uh, and... Uh, I would frequently be in the warehouse and I would, Bart and I would talk sometimes. We talked a lot. And Bart would always say, I think I even shared this with you maybe some weeks ago. Um, <laughs> Bart would always say, well, why doesn't God show me something? Why doesn't He show me, show me something? I'm here. Show me something. And I would always say this to him. You mean other than the cosmos? You mean other than that? Other than a functioning conscious body? You mean other than that? You, you mean other than you know, air to breathe and food to eat? Other than that? You, you, you need more evidence than that? 
other than Him really, uh, revealing Himself in Jesus Christ and leaving a written record of it? Other than that? You mean other than that? Other than the Son of God coming in the flesh through a virgin, walked the earth for 30 plus years, and bled out on the cross. You mean other than that? That's what you, you mean. And you mean other than the Bible as a whole? You mean other than that? Other than 66 books written by 40 different authors written over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages, three different continents with a common storyline, theme, and message without any historical errors or doctrinal contradictions. You mean that? More than that! Beloved, don't fall for that stuff, man. God has revealed Himself. The psalmist, this, the, the title of the sermon is Revelation God. You know, you want him to write, you want him to sky write in the in the clouds, he's not gonna do it. You know? He's done enough. The ball is in your court. So our good and gracious God has not only exhaustively revealed himself, he continuously is revealing himself in the unspoken sky sermons, raspberry sermons, watermelon sermons. The God question has never been a matter of a lack of evidence. It's always been a moral question. Men simply don't want God. But you're here tonight and you're accountable, right? You've heard the Word preached. You know what God says. You're accountable. You're accountable to respond appropriately to His presence in the created order, to respond appropriately to what He has said about Himself in the written Word. Beloved, we have a great God. Go make much of Him, man. Go worship Him and make much of Him. Let's pray together.